0: Let's go.
1: Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you than somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. morning church. How is everybody today? Welcome to everyone in the room and welcome to everyone who is joining us online. We've got New Jersey, Virginia, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, Tennessee, Louisiana, Georgia, South Carolina, Texas, and El Salvador. We are so glad to have you joining with us today. Uh, And it is my honor and privilege to introduce, I say, our guest speaker. But really, when somebody becomes family to you, they're not really a guest speaker anymore. But for your sake, we're going to call him a guest speaker. But we thought, you know what, we are rounding out our series today that we've been on prayer And there are so many things that we have learned during this entire series about prayer. But one of the things we thought was really important to do is to give you an opportunity to know where you need to direct some of your prayers. Because there are a lot of things that are going on in our world today, and particularly right here in the United States of America, that I think many of us are not even aware of. We aren't aware of the seriousness of what's happening. And we need to make sure that as Christians, as those who have been equipped, those who have been blood-bought. We need to make sure that we're not just sitting back letting somebody else fight the battle, but that we are out on the front lines of the battle, that we are protecting our religious freedoms because they they aren't just given by the government, they are given to us by our God. But if we don't start fighting for them, they will be taken from us. And we've got to fight in two ways. We've got to fight with our words. We've got to fight with our prayers. And I think it's time that the church rise up. People wonder, they go, how did the United States get where it is today? I can tell you it's because the church has been silent for way too long. We have wanted to pacify everyone and be kind and nice and sweet so everyone would want to come in the doors. But I'm like, what are we going to do, the bait and switch? We get you in, and then you hear the truth, and then you get mad. If you don't want the truth, you don't want the truth, period. So we're not doing the bait and switch here. We're letting you know who we are, what we stand for, why we're doing what we're doing. We are called. And appointed for such a time as this. And we will not back down. We will not shrink from the fight. We are going forward. And here's the thing I love. David didn't just stand there when the giant was running his mouth. The Bible says that he ran at his giant. So Freedom House Church, we are running at the giant, which is why we brought in Kelly Shackelford to speak today. Let me tell you a little bit about who he is. He is the number one lawyer that is fighting right now in our country for our religious freedoms. The number one, the largest firm is called First Liberty Institute, the largest firm that is fighting for us. And he's going before the Supreme Court four times this year. Most attorneys hope that they can do it once in their lifetime. If they could just get in front of the Supreme Court. He is making things happen. I want you to listen to every single thing that he has to say today. Because he's going to blow your mind. And he's going to let you know why it's so important that we as Christians are praying that we are, every single battle that we're facing, we're facing it first in the spiritual realm. You agree? Yeah. All right, Freedom House, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to jump up on your feet and I want you to give it up for Kelly. Come on, Shackleford Esquire.
2: Thank you. First, some of you are probably saying, why is he sitting down? Um, I had a nose surgery. And uh, if I stood up the whole time, about halfway through this, blood would start dripping out of my face. And I thought, that'd be kind of cool, man. He brought it. There's blood all over it. But I thought, it's probably not a good first impression. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to sit down today. Um, Really, God sent me as a scout from the front lines to update you on what's going on in religious freedom. And uh, if you want a, a scripture to go back to afterwards, really my theme scripture is go to Joshua 1, read the whole chapter. God over and over tells the Israelites, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. They're about to enter the promised land, but they need to be told, be strong and courageous. I'm gonna tell you some things today, really good things that you don't know about probably. And I think there's a real strong opportunity that we can hand something to our children and our grandchildren in this country greater than even we had. Now, what can you say that about? But it's gonna require us to be strong and courageous. So that's a great, verse, a great chapter to go back to and look through to remind us where we are right now. But let me start with the basics. What is First Liberty? First Liberty is the largest legal organization in the country that all we do is religious freedom. So... Let's say you're a five year old girl, Gabriella Perez, and you're caught praying over your meal in the lunch cafeteria. Um, and you live outside of Miami Dade, you're a poor family. What do you do? You don't have the money, you can't go hire a team of lawyers. So we bring in the best litigators in the country, they all donate their time. So we represent Gabriella so that when we win the case, which we did, we don't just win for Gabriella, we just set a precedent that protects all of our kids and our grandkids all across the country. How did how did I get into this? Well, how did I, I back in high school my gifts were in analytical uh, thinking and speaking and I knew gosh, I should either be a pastor or a lawyer. And people said that's like a god or satan choice, isn't it, to be a pastor or a lawyer. And I analyzed my giftings and I thought, you know, I'd probably be a better lawyer than a pastor because I'd probably rather bring justice, be better at bringing justice than mercy. So, probably make a better lawyer. And uh, went to law school, got out, clerk for a federal judge. You do that for one year. You sort of help them research and write opinions. And after that, you get any offer you want in any law firm because that's a very unique perspective to get. So I had all these offers, and I sat in my little office, and I thought, gosh, I just don't feel like going to work at these major law firms is what God's calling me to do. And I remember thinking, well, what do you want to do? And I thought, well, I want to use my legal skills because God showed me through law school that I should do that. But... I want to help pastors and churches and religious freedoms and our founding principles. And I'd even like to go to seminary part-time. And I laughed because there was no job like that, no paying job. Two weeks later, two partners in major law firms, never met these guys, called me out of the blue, said, will you go to lunch? I said, sure. They said, look, we started donating our time for religious freedom. We're getting so many calls, it's hurting our ability to make a living. We were wondering... Would you be willing to come on, do legal cases, help pastors, churches, religious freedoms, and our founding principles? And you can even go to seminary part time. Um, and you know, being in my young twenties, maybe a little immature in my faith, I said, "Let me pray about it." Like that wasn't an answer to prayer, you know. And uh, and so, you know, that was 32 years ago. We started a nonprofit, and now First Liberty is the largest legal organization in the country. That all we do is religious freedom. And, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I start talking about this is helping people understand, why is this even important? Now, believers especially, they go, yeah, it's important. Religious freedom is important because I want the ability to, to live out my faith. It's so much bigger than that. You know, if you don't have religious freedom, incredible evil will replace it, okay? And we're seeing this, right, with, with Marxism as it comes into our country. Marxism has to destroy the church. These are competing ideologies, and if you look at history, you'll see that the first thing that they do is kill the priests, kill the pastors, take out the churches. Uh, and, you know, there's a great book, if you get a chance to read it sometime, called Live Not By Lies. It's out right now. And he goes, it's a guy who goes and interviews um, people from Czechoslovakia, uh, the former uh, Soviet Union, uh, Hungary, all these different countries that had communism. And 201, every one of these people say they're terrified at what they're seeing right now in the United States. And so the question is, what do you do about it? And what they tell you is what you do is Alexander Solzhenitsyn's last essay before he was banned from the Soviet Union was live not by lies. And what he said is that in totalitarian regimes, they exist only because everybody goes along with the lies. But if enough people, not a majority, just enough people will stand up and speak the truth, even though it costs them, the system collapses. And he tells that story of all these countries, and guess who these people are who are standing up and speaking the truth, even though it costs them, right? So it's the church. That's the church. There's nothing more dangerous than these Marxist totalitarian regimes than the church. And so we're in that battle right now. Now, you know, the best way I can disclaim this is, and by the way, the founders called this freedom our first freedom for a reason. They knew if you lose this freedom, you'll lose all your freedoms. And the best way I can describe why that is is the one thing that a totalitarian regime can never allow are citizens who hold an allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever you see that type of massive control or you know loss of freedom coming in, you'll, you'll find that the religious freedom is the first flashpoint. And I don't have to go, you know. so how are we doing? Okay, so that being the case, that's sort of a barometer on all of our freedoms. How are we doing in this country? How's religious freedom going? 12 years ago, we had 48 cases. Last year, we had over 700, okay? The attacks are growing like we've never seen, right? And I don't have to go very far, we're in a pandemic. What happened when, for the first time in our country, all these mayors and county officials and governors got power they'd never had before? What was the flashpoint? It was closing down the churches and the synagogues. It was religious freedom. We just saw this played out. And we knew this was gonna be an issue. So going into this, we, we prayed a lot. And we said, you know, there's never been a case on religious freedom in the pandemic. Never, there's no, there's no precedent. And if you're a judge and somebody comes in court and says, on one side, you got the governor saying, I'm trying to save millions of people's lives. And on the other side, you've got somebody saying, we wanna open our church on Sunday. Imagine how hard that would be for the judge. He doesn't want to risk, or she doesn't want to risk losing lives and their political future and everything else. So we knew we really needed God's leading, and we prayed, and we prayed. We had hundreds and hundreds of churches and synagogues calling us saying, you won't believe what they're doing to us. You saw the discrimination. Walmart's fine to go into, but not the church, okay? It was nonsense going on all across the country. And finally, right before Easter, almost two years ago, we got a call. And this was a church that they wanted to have Easter and they wanted to be safe, but they wanted to be together. So they came up with the idea of driving in their cars to the church parking lot. The minister would stand up and speak over a radio frequency into the cars, and they could actually be together. But yet, and look, I'm not a CDC expert, but of course, I don't think the CDC is an expert either these days. but I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't pass the coronavirus from one automobile to another. <laughs> Yet the city said that was a crime, and they were gonna be criminally prosecuted if they got together in their church parking lot. And, we said, and then the governor said they were gonna send police officers that Sunday to all churches around the state and any license plates they got of cars in the church parking lot, they were going to write down those license plates and have them visited at their home by police and they would be quarantined for 14 days. We said, okay, we're now in China. This is the case. So we filed, uh, this was On Fire Christian Church out of Louisville, Kentucky. I think we got pictures somewhere of it. Um, And we filed on Good Friday and asked for an immediate injunction. We got a great judge. This judge looked at this, and he said, and by the way, remember the images we're seeing at this time? The images we're seeing on TV were um, a father throwing a baseball in the park, being handcuffed for being in a park. Um, a guy coming off the beach with a surfboard with nobody else, anywhere in sight, being arrested. People wondered how we lost our freedoms. Has the Constitution been suspended? And so this was the first, really the first chance we filed this case, the judge, you ought to read this case on fire Christian Church decision sometime. The federal judge, Judge Justin Walker, said, I never thought I would see something like this in my life. This is like a dystopian novel. He said, The idea that you would criminalize an Easter service at a church, he said, This is irrational, it's unreasonable, and this will never happen as long as I'm a federal judge. And he issued a immediate injunction against the city saying, You cannot do this in the United States of America. That was sort of the shot heard around the world number two because everybody was told the Constitution is still in place. But our goal wasn't to get people into church parking lots. It was to get them back in their church. So our next case was Tabernacle uh, 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 a Baptist Church. I think we got a picture of that church too. Uh, this is a church in a rural area, had plenty of room. There was no problem for them getting together, have lots of, uh, of, of you know, room for people to be separated, to, to do whatever they need to do to be safe. But they weren't allowed to have that on Sunday for an hour. But you could go to the Walmart. The, you could know, go to anywhere you wanted, the Home Depot. You could have thousands of people running in and out. And we're like, you can't do this. This is discriminatory. And so we filed the lawsuit. And by the time we were done, we not only won, but the attorney general of the state, who is a wonderful African-American guy by the name of Daniel Cameron, joined us in suing his own governor. And we ended up with a statewide injunction saying every church in the state has a right to open safely like all the other uh, entities in the state. But unfortunately, none of these ever made the Supreme Court. So we literally are still in a fight right now in this country over whether the government controls our churches. So we're going to have to continue to fight. But the battles aren't just in the pandemic. Uh, we've got attacks on, on churches, on synagogues, on, well, let's take churches, Canaan Baptist Church. This is an example of the kind of things we get all the time. Small African-American church. Again, I think we have a, pastor, a picture of the pastor. Um, they said, we're going to take your, your property that you're going to build your sanctuary on. The city did. And they said, why would you do that? We're going to build our sanctuary here. They said, we want to put a fire station there. There's a fire station across the street. Yeah, but we like your property better they figure they don't have much power. They don't have any money. So we brought in all the top litigators uh, in the area and they decided that maybe they wanted to change their mind and let the Canaan Baptist build their own church. Uh, But this is the kind of thing happening across the country. By the way, it's cool. The pastor ended up uh, deciding to name the sanctuary after the attorney who donated his time on the case to represent them. Uh, So very cool. But this has happened with synagogues. We represent synagogues all over the country who are being attacked just for trying to meet, just for trying to get together. Houston, New York, uh, uh, Los Angeles, we got cases all over the place. It's crazy. Um, You know, we've got uh, religious organizations. A lot of people know about the OSHA regulations where, I mean, look, we don't live in a country, uh, a dictatorship, where the president can issue an edict and take over every company in the country of 100 or more people and all their employees. That's not how it works, okay? But what most people don't know is that included every religious organization in the country. The idea that the government can take over religious, one person in the presidency can issue an order in the executive branch and take over all of the religious organizations. So we've bought a lawsuit on behalf of Answers in Genesis, uh, American Family Association, Daystar TV, all these religious groups saying, you can't do this. And you probably saw just a few weeks ago, there was a case in the Supreme Court. There were about 10 of us who went to the Supreme Court, and we ended up getting a good decision from the Supreme Court saying, you can't do this, what you're trying to do with OSHA. But we're having a fight just for the right of an organization (laughs) to be a religious organization and not have the government think they can come and take them over. Uh, so the stuff we're fighting, I mean, it really is uh, uh, bizarre. Schools, um, you know, probably one of the most well-known cases we had was uh, um, we had a young valedictorian, I think we got our picture, um, that we had just this last year. This young lady, um, Elizabeth Turner, um, she won the right to give the valedictory address. A valedictory address is a personal farewell, Everybody gives their personal opinions about it. Anybody who's been to graduations know people talk about things, politics, whatever they want to talk. This, they're right. They won the right to do that. But she was told there was one thing that would be quote inappropriate, and that's for her to mention God. And that's what she wanted to mention because she was. This was her leaving school and talking about what was important, and she was going to mention Jesus Christ. Well, she was smart enough to say, "You're not backing me down. I'm calling first liberty." Well. By the time we were finished, the school decided to change its position publicly, allow her, and instead of her just giving her address to the audience, she ended up giving it on Fox News and all over the nation to people. (laughs) But it's attacks on churches, attacks on synagogues, attacks on schools, Um, woke corporations. That are attacking people. You're seeing this all over the country. But how do you do anything about it? Well, we think we've got the case that's gonna really make the difference, and that's Alaska Airlines. This is a, a, a situation where we have two flight attendants. Uh, Lacey is just a wonderful, wonderful person. Again, I think we have a picture of Lacey. Um, and uh, she, you know, they sent, I don't know if you know what the Equality Act is. The Equality Act is a horrible piece of legislation, so radical it'll never pass. But it's the idea of passing a federal law that strips religious freedom out of all the federal statutes whenever there's any LGBT issue. There's no religious freedom. It's just really, really radical. Alaska Airlines sent out a deal to all their people saying, we really like this law and we want you to all get behind it. And we'd love any feedback you have. So... These two flight attendants sent feedback and said, you know, as Christians, we think there's some real problems with this. What did they do? They fired them both for sending feedback that they asked for. So we want your feedback unless it's Christian feedback. Well, they might think you can be woke and do all this stuff, but in this country, we have laws against discrimination in the workplace based on people's religion. And our goal is to not just win for these flight attendants, but to leave a mark on this woke corporation that sends a message to every woke corporation in the country that you don't do this to people in the United States of America. And attacks on, uh, from woke cor- attacks in the military. We've got a whole division that we've had to create just to defend people and their religious freedom in the military. And we have endless cases. Probably one of the most well-known right now is the Navy SEALs case. These are, you've seen what's happening. We have literally 30,000 or more families right now in the military who are being persecuted because of their faith. You know their beliefs about the vaccine. There are rights in federal law for them to get accommodations, and yet for asking, they're being punished. That is wrong. It's illegal. Taking their pensions away, reducing their salaries, threatening their families. The government has no authority over the family member of somebody who's serving in the military. They're violating all kinds of things, and they're bullying. This is really a purge in the military of people of faith. And so we, we could have represented 20,000 people, but we don't have enough people to represent 20,000 people. So we picked 35 Navy SEALs. We thought these are the best of the best. And the idea of throwing them out of the military, when they're our very best, when we need them, these guys who represent 350 years of of combat service, okay? What they've gone through and done for the country, and again, you could probably stick a vial of something in them and it would be dead in an hour. They're so strong, they're such great shape, Right? (laughs) Most of them have immunity. It makes no sense, but because they asked for a religious accommodation, they're now being persecuted. Well, we went into court, and, uh, and we had a federal judge look at this. This is very difficult to get an injunction against the Secretary of the Navy, the Secretary of Defense, right? Almost never happens. But two, two weeks ago, that's exactly what happened. They said, this is wrong. This is against our laws, and there is an injunction. And so we realized, you know, we found such incredible evidence of abuse and violation of the law. That it's just the, the judge said their whole process for following through and respecting people's religious freedom is, quote, theater. Okay, he saw what they were doing and said, this is all a sham. They're not even following the law. You, the last thing you want is a military that doesn't think it doesn't have to follow the law. Okay, so what we did is we just expanded this week. And no longer is this lawsuit just limited to these 35 Navy SEALs. We now expanded it into a class action representing every single person in the Navy. So be, be praying about this. This is a very important case. It's going to affect so many families, so many people across the country, and really even our military. Um, General Boykin and I were talking. He, this guy was ahead of Delta Force, ahead of the Green, Green Beret. This is a hero. He said, he said, what they're doing right now is destroying our, our military. People are telling their kids, don't get in because they're going to do this kind of thing to you. He said, your case might save the military. This is a very important case. Be praying. Um, and then the last one is even attacks on the ability to share the gospel. You know, we've got a, a young uh, a lady uh, by the name of Gail Blair slowly going blind. And as she did so, she realized the most important thing to her was that people know about Jesus. So she thought, what can I do? Well, I'm in an apartment across the street from the park. I'll go out every day with my cane, and I'll find my way across the street. I'll sit at a bench, and if somebody sits near me, I'll strike up a conversation and offer them a copy of the Gospel of John. She did that until she was banned for two years from ever going to the park or the library and talking about her faith. And so look at this. We have a three-minute video. I want you to see her story.
3: Nursing was it for me. It was my identity. I did everything. If I could help them get a job or an apartment, my husband says that I am a um, frustrated social worker. (laughs) January 7th, 1984, I actually had been going to a Bible study on the book of John. And uh, it opened my heart to the word of God being the answer, the truth. It was the best day of my life. I actually was born with a genetic disorder, retinitis pigmentosa, and I still continued nursing until I couldn't anymore because of my vision loss. If somebody says, if ever said to me, hey, you could have your eyesight, but you have to, you know, get rid of Jesus, I'd say, no, no deal. Wherever I go, I try to hand this out to people. So it's 21 chapters of the gospel. I get around with my cane to cross the street, to go in the park. Going into a park to uh, talk with people is a pleasure, first of all. But knowing that eternal life is real and people don't know that they're in danger, people have been saved in the park. I've had more of a reaction from the staff um, in the park that was not too nice, uh, like they would interrupt me. There's plenty of people to talk to. I don't have to be um, going after anybody. I couldn't. It would be a tripping hazard for me. I was sitting on a bench with a man that I was conversing with. The executive director comes over and he says that he was going to call the police. And uh, that's the start of um the two-year ban even from the library, which that was a little bit of a surprise to me that they would ban me from both the park and the library. I'm passing out one of the 66 books of the Bible that you have in your library that people can check out. Uh, I guess my heart is broken uh, that I can't do what the Lord has told me to do. So if you want to say that, I I think about daily the lost souls. I think the Lord has positioned me right across from the park. It's a divine uh, assignment that I absolutely need to fulfill. It's, It's just a must.
2: Some of you are like uh, thinking at this point, gosh, I'm hearing all these cases, all this stuff. She said, you know, Troy and Penny really brought in a depressing speaker. So so let me tell you the good news. (laughs) The good news is that we have a method of dealing with this. It's God's method, and it's working, and it's been working for decades. And that is if you look at legal nonprofits, I don't care if they're left-wing or right-wing or what their issue is. They have the same model. Raise as much money as you can. Use that money to hire as many attorneys as you can. Put them in an office in D.C. or L.A. or New York or somewhere. And then fly them around the country and cover as many of your cases as you can cover. That's not our model. Our model is there's all these people who went to law school because they're people of faith. And, you know, they, they wanted to ride in on the horse and save the day and stand for righteousness. And they've represented, you know, great people. And they've been honorable in what they've done. But they've never gotten to do a case for the kingdom. And we go to those best of the best in the country at the most powerful law firms and we say, look, if we give you everything you need, like we have the top legal minds in the country on our staff, from Harvard, from everybody else, and we bring the media, support everything you would need, are you willing to give of your own time for one of these cases? And they're like, man, I've been waiting 35 years. Sign me up. We know what's going to happen when we give them that first case. For the first time in their life, all their talent, all their training, everything they've ever learned is for the first time lined up with the kingdom. They have never felt that before. It's kind of unfair, but we now know we have them for the rest of their lives as one of our volunteer attorneys. They give cover to the younger attorneys who get to work on it. So you could go through the top 100 law firms in the United States. Most of those firms don't just donate their time with us. They'll fight each other over who gets to donate their time. And the result of this is twofold. Originally, I thought, yeah, it'll it'll be a great use of God's resources. Sure enough, average case, every 10,000 we spend, we get 60,000 donated in time. It's like... The lows and the fish—it's like multiply, right? But what I didn't count on was the win-loss ratio, and that is, if you watch in this arena, you know, if you're a legal nonprofit, you're fighting big monsters, you're fighting industry or government or some something big. That's why you were created. And so, you know, if you win forty percent of your cases, you're doing really well. Our win rate now for twenty-two years in a row, every single year, has been above ninety percent. And, and that's because we're the body of Christ. We can put the most powerful teams in the world together in 30 minutes anywhere in the country with all these believers who are saying, give me my turn at the front lines. I've never gotten to use my gifts directly for the kingdom. And so, you know, you can imagine what's happening around the country. So we, you know, when you look at this, it's such, it's such a beautiful process. You've got these people who could never afford the best of the best, You've got these attorneys who are dying doing regular cases and never getting to do something for the kingdom. They get to represent them. The result is wins, precedents that protect everybody in the body. It's a complete circle. And so normally that's where I would end, and I would say, look, the cases are increasing, but we're still winning 90% of our cases. God bless you. See you later. But then something started to happen four or five years ago. I started to see a change And I thought, you know what? And as I was speaking, I said, you know, I think it's possible for us to change the future from what I'm seeing coming. And then I had to change that a few years ago to say, we are changing the future. What do I mean? Well, it started with judges. You know, we're a religious liberty group. So, you know, we, we, whoever is in charge, we're gonna fight like we can to push religious freedom. So we were preparing for a Hillary Clinton presidency and how we were gonna advance religious freedom under that. And then this Trump guy won. And we're like, okay, we need to reevaluate. What are the opportunities? And we immediately saw 130 judicial seats open. That is very unusual. These are lifetime appointments. And we realized, you know what? Winning one case is something, but putting judges in who follow the Constitution and are going to rule for religious freedom all the time. So... I turned to my board and I said, we need, to, we need to go raise a lot of money and create a whole division. We need to have the best division in the country on vetting all the choices. And that's what we did. And we put incredible people. I, I wish you could know the quality. These are the people that would be sitting next to you in the pew. Think about a picture of a couple as an example. Um, uh, this guy, uh, where is it? Is it back? Yeah. This guy right here with his hand up. Uh, top of his class, goes to work at a major law firm, after that decides he wants to do something more significant after six years, goes to work as a U.S. attorney, a federal prosecutor, putting away terrorists. Wins an award for putting away terrorists. And then a new attorney general comes in, uh, Eric Holder, pulls him off of some of that work to work on LGBT issues. And he's like, you know, that's not why I came here. So he left. Where did he go? He came to work at First Liberty. And at age 36, he was picked by the president to be a federal judge for the rest of his life, okay? He's brilliant. He's totally committed to the Constitution. He's a believer. You'll never have to worry about whether he'll get a decision right. And and he'll be there when my grandchildren's children come into court. Who's swearing him in? The guy swearing him in? Jim Ho, probably the smartest lawyer in the country, is... He was our most active volunteer uh, attorney in the country at one of the most powerful law firms. He is now a federal judge at the court of appeals and will probably be one of the next Supreme Court justices uh, if a Republican comes in. Strong believer. Uh, so when you start doing that, and I could go through person after person, you put judges in that actually are looking to the Constitution, what it says, and all. That, you start changing things. So there were things. There's a there's an Establishment Clause and a Free Exercise Clause on religious freedom in our constitution. And they both have a really bad precedent from years ago that have caused great damage to religious freedom our whole lives. And if you just said four years ago, five years ago, can you get rid of those? I said, not in my lifetime. We can just pick away at them. But that's all changing. So like the first really is the Bladensburg Cross case. I don't know how many of you heard about this case. We've got a picture of the cross. This is a memorial that was put up almost 100 years ago by mothers who lost their sons in World War I. And... Uh, a lawsuit was filed saying you can't have a, a cross on government property, you gotta tear it down. At the court of appeals, the judges said, one of the judges said in an oral argument, well, why don't we just cut the arms off the cross, that way nobody will be offended and we won't have to tear it down. So they ruled against it saying after 100 years it was unconstitutional. So we went to the Supreme Court and that's a picture you see of us after the Supreme Court argument. And we realized, we were looking at the justices. we said, you know what? There's this old case called Lemon that has created all this problem under the Establishment Clause. Establishment Clause says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. We don't want the government to establish a church for us. But what they said back 50 years ago was, oh, it means a lot more than that. It means no separation of church and state. It means if you're offended, you can bring lawsuits. You can't bring lawsuits because you're offended. Only if you're offended by religion. That's why we've seen our whole lives attacks against nativity scenes and crosses in public, a menorah, anything else. Why? Because the founders had any problem with any of these things? No. Because of this horrible lemon decision. So with this case, we said, you know what? We're not just going after this cross. We're going to win this cross, but we're going to go after lemon because now we've got Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and we don't think think they're going to follow this horrible precedent. So, we argued that case, and we won the case 7-2. But more importantly, 5-4, they said, we're not following lemon anymore. The hostility to religion is over. So for 50 years, we've gone in this direction, hostility to religion. We just turned. I'm telling you, it's a huge shift. We're just at the beginning of it. Same thing, free exercise clause. There's a horrible case that has caused great damage to free exercise. But we have a case with Coach Kennedy. Coach Kennedy is a coach who uh, was a Marine for 20 years, and he got out, he saw this movie, Facing the Giants, and it convicted him about coaching and praying, and he made a pledge to God, I'm gonna pray after every game, I'm gonna go to a knee by myself, and I'm gonna say a 20-second silent prayer, thanking you for the privilege of coaching these young men. And then the school came to him after seven years of doing this and said, if you go to a knee again, you're gonna be fired. And he's like, my kids are watching me. I was a Marine. So he went to a knee and they fired him. And unfortunately for him, he's in the Ninth Circuit, which is San Francisco. And they said, coaches are not allowed to pray in public if anyone can see them. That's not the law. That's what they want the law to be. We went up to the Supreme Court. The justices, a number of them said, well, we want some more facts developed, send it back down. But they said, we find this very disturbing And they said, by the way, this old precedent, the Smith precedent that hasn't been looked at in decades that's caused all this damage to religious freedom, now that there's new justices on the Supreme Court, we're ready to relook at that case and see about opening up the free exercise of religion. Here's the great news. Just two weeks ago, this case made it all the way back, and we asked the Supreme Court to take the case. They get 9,000 requests a year. They only take 67 cases. Two weeks ago, they announced... We're taking the Coach Kennedy case, and this will be decided at the Supreme Court. This will be the first time in the history of our country the Supreme Court has ever had a case on the rights of teachers or coaches or anybody at school with regard to their faith. This is gonna set a major precedent. It's also really a challenge to everybody. Are you willing to take a knee if it costs you? What if you know it could cost you? Okay, that's what Coach Kennedy is about. You're gonna see this all in the press. So, what I'm about to say might say radical, but I, I really believe it's true. I think that every person alive is about to have more religious freedom than they've ever had in their lifetime. And we need, we're just at the beginning of this, and we have to be faithful unless something really radical happens, like let's say court packing. I don't know if you know what court packing is. Court packing is when you add justices to the Supreme Court to just get to the political results you want to get to. When you, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. When you do this, you destroy your courts because whatever right you think you have, you no longer have it because whatever party gets in power can add justices until they take it away. And if you look at Venezuela, I think we have a picture. If you wonder what happened to Venezuela, <coughs> court packing. That's how it was lost. We can tell you country after country, and so this is a real push going on right now, okay? A majority of the Democrats in our polling are in favor of court packing. And if they did this, you can't go back from it. Yeah. So I wanna show you a one-minute video so you understand it's real, and then I'll, I'll tell you what's happened. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. But it was a bonehead idea.
4: They'll know my opinion court packing when the election is over. Now look, I know it's a great question.
2: So I'll put together a national commission of scholars, and I will uh, ask them to come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system.
3: This is a live ball. Oh, it is a live
4: ball. So we will figure out a way to get something done. Well,
2: let's take a look and see.
4: Everything is on the table.
3: We're going to add five, six, seven, ten seats to the court.
2: Well, I think everything's on the table. Everything is on the table.
3: All of those matters will be on the table. All options are on the
4: table. And as I've said, everything, everything is on the table.
2: Presidents come and go.
1: Supreme Court justices stay for generations.
2: A website, Supreme Coup, that has all the, the history about other countries, how dangerous this is. We began changing opinions. We spent millions of dollars on this because what good is our religious freedom if there are no courts? And we've got to continue to fight this. But if, if, we, can be, if we can win and stop this and, and just be faithful, I think what's coming is incredible incredibly good for our country. I remember a number of years ago, I was sitting in my office minding my own business, and I opened my newspaper, and I saw something I'd never seen. It was senior citizens holding picket signs. And I thought, now that's unusual. And I looked down, and these seniors had been told that they couldn't pray over their meals in the senior center because it was a government building or sing gospel songs on the piano in the back or have a Bible study once a week in their own building. And so I put this down. We had a young attorney who had just started from us um, from the military, and I said... Why don't you see if we can go help him? Before I can finish my sentence, he's like peeling out of the parking lot on the way to the senior center. He gets there and they said, "Look, we're the has-beens, we're the nobodies. We don't have any power in this town. There's these four guys in the city council; they control everything. We never thought anybody'd help us, much less lawyers for free." This young attorney comes back to me and said, "Okay, this city doesn't deserve to be war- warned. They should be destroyed." And they said, "No, no, we're a Christian organization. We're going to send him a letter, <laughs> tell him there's this constitution thing and." It's so always similar. They responded in the media, government, uh, government buildings, you can't allow any religious activity in a government building. So I don't know if he got his law degree from you know the mail, but that's not the law. So we had a press conference, had all the seniors standing behind me, and I did something I'm sure you're not supposed to do, but when you feel led, you just do it. And I said, does anybody want to say anything at the end of the press conference? Well, at the end of the line is a guy with a cowboy hat, a bolo tie, a Western suit, and cowboy boots, Barney. And he walks up and he says... I fought World War II for these freedoms and I ain't going into the corner to pray. They can arrest me long as it says what arrested for. Rested for praying. He turns around, goes and walks, and a deal. About an hour later, we get a call from the Fox uh, News producer saying we want the guy in the hat on TV. (laughs) We end up testifying in the U.S. Senate, all this stuff. I mean, it was Barney's first plane ride. He'd been in the Navy. Um, And, just an incredible clients, uh, and uh, and we won the case, never, it won an injunction They can never interfere with them praying over their meal, never singing the gospel songs, and everything. But my favorite thing was what happened after the case was over. Everybody in the city realized the four all-powerful city council members weren't so all-powerful after all. So they held a recall election, and they threw all four of those people out of office. <laughs> And then about three years later, I got a postcard from one of the seniors because she wanted me to know that she was now one of the new city council members. (laughs) To me, that's a picture of our country. People sit back and go, What can I do? We can do whatever we want. We're the body of Christ. We just need to be faithful. So the question is with all this, so what do you do? How can you be faithful? Number one, you can pray. You know what? When Coach Kennedy's in the Supreme Court here in two months, you need to know and you need to be praying, okay? Number two, you can educate people. I want everybody in here to be the Paul and Paula Revere uh, of our generation. Because if we're winning these cases, which we are, and people don't know, what good is it? But if people do know, they'll get emboldened to live out their faith and use those freedoms. Now, you can't do that if you don't know about the cases. So one of the things I would encourage you, I think we've got a slide to show you, if you'll text the word liberty to 474747. Again, just text the word liberty to 4747. It'll give you a link. Uh, Again, text liberty 474747. It'll give you a link where you can sign up. And every week, you'll get an email on what's happening, on the battles that are going. So you can pray, you can educate your friends, all that, you can be involved. The last thing, though, I say application from this really is, this is for all of us, is live not by lies. This, this is the time we've got, I mean, we're under attack, and we're going to have to pay a price at times, speaking the truth. But we've got to do it, and you're going to have those opportunities. What's the follow-up to Gail? Blair, I, you saw the video. We won her case. She is back. Now, what power does she have? A blind woman in a little apartment. But she stood her ground, and she's back in that park now. And every three weeks, we get a text or an email from Gail saying, Somebody else just accepted the Lord today at the park. And the guy who turned her in, he's now going to her church. (laughs) So we just need to be faithful. This is be strong and courageous. Back to Joshua 1. God's in control. Thank you. It's really a privilege to be with you. God bless you.
4: So, as you were speaking, the name Solomon mm. came over me. Mm. I'll get emotional in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to pray for the traits of Solomon over Kelly. Mm. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. Extend your hands out in your faith. Lord, I pray wisdom. Wisdom, like it's never been seen, come over this man. Lord, he needs it. He's going to battle on the front lines for you, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray you give him influence. Influence that, like, never been seen. That leaders would come to him and ask advice, just like they did with Solomon. What do you say? What do you think we should do? Let Kelly have the words of wisdom for them, God. Lord, I pray that influence won't just be in his generation, but he'll raise up new leaders, God, that will stand firm against evil. Lord, that he'll be able to impart his wisdom into everything that they do, Lord. Lord, I pray for favor. I pray for favor when it comes to judges. Pray for favor when it comes to leaders, Lord, that he'll be speaking with. Lord, that you'll have the perfect timing in everything that he does. Lord, I just pray you'll just be all over him, God. That he'll see your hand move in a mighty way. Lord, we stand behind him. We stand behind your word, God. And we boldly proclaim victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your word goes first, God. Your word is what we stand behind. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you for giving us power. Thank you for giving us strength. Thank you for your Holy Spirit always being with us, Lord, giving us boldness and courageousness. And Lord, we thank you for it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Everybody, give it up
1: one more time.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at freedomhouse.com and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.